0: Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Catalyst. Uh, my name is JR. I'm the teaching pastor here. And uh, we're th- today is the day of Pentecost. It's basically the birthday of the church, so we planned a celebration this morning. I hope you came ready to celebrate uh, what it means to be church, what it means to be part of the body of Christ, what it means to be brought to life by the Spirit. And so I want to begin uh, Pentecost Sunday this morning uh, talking about Testimonies, because I grew up in the church. I know some of the rest of you also did. And if you grew up in the church like me, there was one thing that was probably like the worst thing uh, that you could do, which was have a have a bad testimony or like a boring testimony. So uh, I was a part of a group called Lay Witness Missions. It was it was through the United Methodist Church, and essentially churches all over the the Midwest. Would invite this group to come, and it was a group of people. They were, none of them were professional pastors, they were lay people, was the, the term that was used. And these people would come to church, uh, to these churches, and basically lead a weekend revival that was all around. They would sing together, there would be some preaching, but there, the, the highlight of the weekend was always when people would share their testimonies, which meant that someone like me would get up on the stage and just tell people about what God had done in their own lives. Right? It was like, are we called a bearing witness or, again, giving testimony? And uh, you never knew, I, I was literally going on these before I was born. My parents had been going on them uh, since they were kids. And so I grew up with this group of people that I saw maybe two or three times a year. And you never knew exactly who was going to come to the late witness mission. But it was always fun. It was always a fun treat to see who was going to be there. Uh, you've really made some lifelong friends. And there was this one guy, Ron, that any time you found out Ron was coming on the lay witness mission, it was a huge deal. Everybody loved Ron, and they loved it when he came. Now I don't remember a lot about Ron. Uh, I remember that he was really tall. That also could have just been because I was a kid and everyone's really tall. But I remember him being really tall. He had uh, an awesome, like a very kind, inviting, warm smile, and he was one of the gentlest, kindest people uh, still to this day that I've ever met. And. Ron had a killer testimony, just amazing testimony. Uh, Ron apparently was an unwanted pregnancy, and uh, his mom uh, tried to drink Drano to uh, terminate her pregnancy with Ron, and, and, and it didn't work, Ron was born, but he had a bunch of uh, disabilities that, because of that experience uh, that plagued him his whole life. He lived, he lived in a lot of pain, and his story, every time he told his testimony, it was a story of how God brought victory in his life over all of that, how he learned to find love even though he grew up in a home where he didn't receive a lot of love. And I'm telling you, every single time, anytime time Ron gave his testimony, there was never a dry eye in the house. Like, it was just beautiful. So everybody loved Ron. Everybody hated when they had to give a testimony the same night as Ron. (laughs) Because there was no way you were going to top Ron's story. And of course, I remember very clearly the weekend that the guy who ran this, his name was Jerry, the weekend Jerry said, hey, JR, uh, you're going to share tonight. I was probably like 12 years old. I was like, okay, yeah, sure, Jerry, whatever you need. Because even back then, I loved being on a platform, holding the microphone. And then he said, cool, Ron's gonna go after you. No, no! I was 12, like I had the most boring testimony ever, like what am I gonna talk about? Uh, I fight with my, I was the oldest of three, so like I fought with my siblings. I thought maybe I could church that up a little bit, like say one of them shanked me some one time or something, I don't know. <laughs> Um, I thought maybe I could invent some misdemeanors that I had committed in fourth grade or some like light felonies or something. So I had like a dark past, um, nothing like I had nothing. I was 12 and I'd grown up in the church and like I had, I had the most boring testimony ever. And so I remember that night that I, I stood up and I gave my little 12 year old testimony and then Ron got up and just crushed it. And I just remember feeling this sense of like total inadequacy you know, that, that the, what could I possibly have to tell people about God and about God's love compared to somebody like Ron, who has this amazing testimony that moves people to tears, that invites, you know, I was, they did altar calls and people would come up just, you know, weeping because of what Ron shared. And I, I just remember feeling that, like a, a feeling like a kind of a total waste. And so to, today, because it's Pentecost Sunday, I want to talk with you this morning about what it means for us to bear witness. Because I know I'm not the only person who feels that way. When we think about talking with other people in our lives about Jesus, whether that's people that we work with, or people in our families, people that we love and care about, a lot of us, I think, feel inadequate. Either because, again, like me, your story's kind of boring and uneventful, or maybe you feel like you don't have enough education or Bible knowledge, or you don't have the right kind of, theological credentials, or whatever. I think most of us feel inadequate when it comes to talking about who Jesus is, and when it, when it comes to introducing people that we care about to an encounter with Jesus. So we're going to talk this morning about what it looks like to do that. And Uh, What we're going to see is that the very best thing we can do is be ourselves, be the person that God created us to be, and share out of what the Spirit has done in our lives and how the Spirit has made us new. So that's why today is a Pentecost day. We're going to celebrate who God is and how God has brought us to life, and and then uh, why that's worth talking about, no matter what your story is, even if you're not a Ron. So we're going to begin by celebrating this God who brings us new life. Will you stand and sing with us? As I've already mentioned, today is Pentecost Sunday. It's the birthday of the church. It's the day we, re- we celebrate receiving the Holy Spirit. And so uh, today we're we're kind of pivoting in our series. We've been since Easter. Uh, we've been in a series called Monday Messiah, where we've been looking at various things that Jesus, various places Jesus claims to be God by saying I am, but then also modifying that. So he's been saying I am the Good Shepherd, I am the True Vine, I am the Bread of Life, and we've been asking uh, why when he uses those phrases that were pulled from the everyday lives of his listeners, what he meant by those. Right? What what does it mean for Jesus to say I'm not just God of you know. Your Sunday, your worship, your your sacred times. I'm I'm the God of your everyday lives. What, what does that mean? And so we're pivoting now because we've reached Pentecost and we have uh, we just have a couple of weeks left before our summer series starts. And so for the next three weeks, we're going to kind of stay in the same uh, what's the word I want? Like the same uh, ethos or the same uh, kind of idea of again what is it? What is it? mean to say that God matters in our everyday lives, not just on Sunday, but on Monday. Uh, But we're going to actually spend the next three weeks talking about the Trinity. So we're going to start today with God the Holy Spirit. And today's all going to be about what what does the Holy Spirit do in our lives, right? Then next week we're going to talk about God the Son. So we're going to talk about Jesus. And then uh, the week after that we're going to talk about God the Father. And because uh, the Trinity is like the most important doctrine in christianity uh, there 's an endless amount of stuff we could do i mean we 'd like do a whole year on each person of the Trinity and still not be out of stuff so three weeks is a little audacious, we recognize that. Uh, But to kind of help focus us, we're just going to stay in the gospel of John specifically, uh, because we've been in John since Lent, and and so a lot of that language, especially for those of you who have been uh, coming during this time, some of that language and some of John's imagery and the way he talks about God are beginning to become very familiar to you. So we thought in order to kind of focus us a little bit and just give us somewhere to you know, kind of hang out. We're going to stay in the Gospel of John. So today's going to be all about uh, who is the Holy Spirit in the Gospel of John, and and what does that help us understand about uh, our, our ordinary everyday lives? Again, not just our Sundays, but our Mondays. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me over to John chapter 15. If you grabbed a free Bible out of the back, you can find this on page uh, 648, and we would love for you to keep that. Consider that a free gift from us. Now, uh, normally, when we talk about Pentecost, we go to Acts chapter 2. Uh, Acts 2 is the, the, the classic, sort of traditional Pentecost passage. It's where the disciples are gathered after Jesus has ascended to heaven, and they're praying, and then all of a sudden tongues of fire appear over their heads, and like a gale blows through the room, and they all start speaking in different languages. It's very dramatic. Uh, it's actually, it's sort of like Ron's testimony, right, that I shared earlier. Like, it's, it's like, you're like, whoa, that's awesome, but that is also very far removed from my experience of things. Like, I've never been in church where everyone's heads lit on fire and they all started speaking different languages. Uh, I'm not against it necessarily right uh but but I just never I've never experienced that and so I wanted to sit in uh, in John's gospel for a little bit and, and again ask who who is the spirit in John's gospel and how do we receive the spirit in John's gospel so John 15 uh, we looked at this passage uh, a few weeks ago when we were talking about Jesus the true vine this is during Jesus's farewell discourse so he is about to go to the cross the disciples don't really understand that yet they haven't gotten the memo uh, but Jesus does Jesus knows what's about to happen to him and so he's Giving them sort of his last instructions, his final words. And and in the midst of all of that, he speaks about the Holy Spirit, who he's going to send after he is crucified for the disciples. And so here's just a little bit of what he says Uh, beginning in verse 26, Jesus says, I will send you the advocate, the spirit of truth. He will come to you from the Father and will testify all about me. And you must also testify about me because you have been with me from the beginning of my ministry. Now, this is, there's something cool going on here. Jesus says, look, you're going to receive this spirit, this advocate. And he's going to enable you to bear witness about me, to give testimony about me. The spirit is going to be the one who enables you to tell other people about me. This, this is good news for anyone like me who feels like they don't have a very interesting testimony. Right? is that the Spirit is the one who enables us to do that. So how? That's the question I want to ask today. If the Spirit is the one who enables us to share about Jesus, if the Spirit is the one who enables us to introduce other people to Jesus, to invite people into an encounter with God's life-changing good news, what does that look like? Okay. Now, it's going to get a little bit weird. I'm sure you're surprised by that. Uh, We're going to go through a couple of scriptures pretty quickly, but uh, in the discussion guide that we put out every week in the mini, that we just did the Terra from, right? Uh, we list all the scriptures that we're going through this week. So we're going to kind of go through them pretty quickly, uh, and and you can go back this week and take some more time with them uh, uh, in, in your personal study time. So go ahead and uh, flip back, or you can just follow on the screen, back to John chapter 7. Uh, this is in the midst of a, a big festival in Jerusalem, and I just want to read to you what Jesus says here. It says, On the last day of the fe- festival, Jesus stood, and he's standing at the steps of the Jewish temple, okay, looking out kind of over the courtyard and announcing to everyone what's happening. This is what he says, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink for the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. And When he said living water, he was speaking of the spirit. So Jesus stands up there and he says, Rivers of living water are going to come for me, and anyone who's thirsty can drink. Now, what we don't know, because we don't have like, the whole Old Testament memorized like most of the Jews and Jesus' day did, is that Jesus is sort of acting out a prophecy from the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel lived during the exile when the temple was destroyed. So he, he witnessed Babylon coming in destroying the temple, and then he was sort of left in Jerusalem to, to do some care for the people uh, once their entire lives had been destroyed and once God's temple, the very place on earth where God lived, had been destroyed. And one of, the, one of the visions that Ezekiel has is of a new temple. So again, when there's no temple, Ezekiel sees this new temple built, and then he has this amazing, beautiful vision where the doors of the temple open, which the doors of the temple only lead into where God is, right? To the holy of holies, to the holy place. That's like where the Ark of the Covenant is, right? The Nazi face-melting Ark of the Covenant, that, right? It's in the middle of the temple, and then, and that's it. Like, that's all that's in the temple. There's, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty small building. So, the doors of the temple fling open, and from the very heart of God's presence, a river issues forth. Now, Again, we don't really know any of this because we don't really care about geography, right? But the temple faced east from Jerusalem. And if you got a map out and looked, kind of zoomed out a little bit, uh, the only thing east of Jerusalem is a big desert. And eventually, if you keep walking through that desert, you get to the Dead Sea, which is called the Dead Sea because it's so salty that nothing can live in it, right? It's dead. So you got a desert and then a dead sea east of the temple. Well, this river that Ezekiel sees that flows out of the very heart of the temple, out of the very presence of God, everywhere this river goes, life starts exploding around it. It's like, it's, it's just, you know, trees and animals and all kinds of plants that have just blossom, and eventually that river hits the dead sea, and then all of a sudden, all of these fish and aquatic plants and marine life be, uh, come to life. This river that Ezekiel sees that flows from the temple is a river of life. It's a river of resurrection. It's a river that makes dead things alive. And so Jesus acts this vision out. He stands right in front of those doors that Ezekiel saw burst open, looks to the east, and he says, anyone who is thirsty can drink from this river of life that is issuing forth from my heart, from the very presence of God. So Jesus is the source of this river of life, this river that brings dead things to life, and John tells us, in case we needed help interpreting that, by, that's what the parentheses were, right? By the way, that's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is this river of life-giving water that flows out of the heart of Jesus that brings dead things to life. This is why later Paul calls the Holy Spirit the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Right? The Spirit is the life giver. In, in John, the Spirit is the one who brings life and brings dead things to life. Now, I want to show you what that looks like in John's gospel. Uh, flip with me back to John. We just keep going backwards. Flip with me back to John chapter 4. This is why it's good to read John the whole book more than once, right? Because you, you catch all this stuff when you read through the second time or the tenth time or whatever. So in John, John 4 is the story of Jesus encountering a Samaritan woman. Uh, so Jesus is, is traveling from Jerusalem back north to, hit, to where he's from, right? Nazareth and Galilee and all of that. To do that, they have to go through Samaria. And the Jews and Samaritans had a lot of bad blood between them. Today, we might identify it as racial tension, right? They hated each other. They thought that they were both from the wrong branch of the family tree. And so Jews and Samaritans pretty much didn't talk to each other uh, if they could help it. Well, Jesus is going through Samaria, and they stop at a town uh, called Sychar, and he sends the disciples into town to get food, and he just hangs out at this well. And he encounters a woman there. Now, it's interesting that the woman has come to get water in the middle of the day. John, John is going to tell us that it is noon when she comes, right? That's interesting because noon in that part of the world is the hottest part of the day. And people didn't go get water at that time of day because it's miserable. Because, again, this is, the, this is the worst thing about getting water, right? It's a really a heavy pot when you're carrying it out to the well. It's way heavier once it's full of water, and you have to carry it back, right? So, so the return trip's actually the worst part. Like, every step you take is easier than the one before it until you get home. It's just a, it's, it's just a terrible thing. So was, uh, typically, the women of the town would all just do it together, because misery loves company. If you're going to do something hard, might as well do it with a friend, right? Well, this woman is going by herself, and she's going in the middle of the day. So that tells us that she's not, um, she's not popular in her town, right? She's not well-liked. And, and we get some hints about why in the story. Uh, but even, even the setup, Jesus at a well, woman coming at noon alone. Like that's, uh, for an ancient person, they would have read the setup to the story and said, like, we don't know who this woman is, but she sounds shady, and Jesus shouldn't talk to her, because he's a respectable rabbi, and he's a Jew, and she's a, termin-. like, there are, there are a whole a pro-con list, right? There's all cons, no pros, for why Jesus should talk to this woman. So what happens Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. And he was alone at this time because his disciples had gone to the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. So she said to Jesus, you are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. Here's this living water again, right? Jesus is inviting her, who is thirsty. How do we know she's thirsty? Well, because she came to the well to get water, right? So she is thirsty, and Jesus is inviting her, just like he invited everyone in front of the temple. If you're thirsty, come and drink of this living water. And we know, because this is our second time through, right? Spoiler, that he's not talking about water. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. She doesn't know that. And so they have this kind of fun back and forth where she's like, you don't even have a bucket. Like, how are you gonna get water out of the well and all this, and, and Jesus keeps reaffirming to her uh, that he is uh, that he he has this water that's even better than the water she's going to get out of this well. Eventually, she calls his bluff. She says, okay, I'd like this water, and he reveals that she, he knows that she has been married five different times. Now, we don't know why she's been married five times. It's entirely possible that all five of those men died, right? Uh, mortality rates were a lot higher in the ancient world. Uh, War is probably too strong of a word, but skirmishes were not uncommon. And it was, again, it was just not uncommon that, that, uh, that men would die like this. And so it's, it's entirely possible that these five husbands have all died. It's also possible that she has been divorced. And that, not that she filed for divorce because women were not allowed to do that, but that she was divorced. The men left her on her own, and she's currently living with a man who uh, will not marry her. So, whatever is going on with this woman, whatever has caused her sort of exile in this town, uh, there's pain, there's shame, there's all kinds of stuff wrapped up in this. And Jesus reveals to her that he knows. And so they get into this interesting theological conversation about uh, you know who's right. Is it us or you or whatever? And Jesus, for the first time in the Gospel of John, tells someone that he's the Messiah, and it's this woman, the first person that he reveals himself fully to is this woman that he should have never been talking to. And it transforms her. So I want to read just here at the end of 25 through30. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called the Christ, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus told her, I am, there's that I am again, right? I am the Messiah. Just then his disciples came back. They're scandalized, shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what are you doing with her? Right? No one's going to no call Jesus out. They're just going to, like, whisper about it. They're like, what do you think he's doing? What are they doing? Right? The woman left her water jar beside the well, which is a really fun little detail that John includes to let us know that she has received Jesus' living water, right? Because Jesus told us anyone who receives his water will never thirst again. So she leaves her water jug by the well. And now, instead of every step back being worse than the one before, every step back is lighter than the one before. And she goes to the village telling everyone, Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him, right? This was better than CNN and Fox News, right? We've got to hear this. Streaming, what? Are you kidding us? What I love about this story is that uh, Jesus meets this woman in, in the very embodiment of her pain and shame that she's had to make this journey to the well by herself, right? And he meets her there, and he doesn't ignore it. He doesn't skirt the issue. He actually calls it right out. And this transforms her. And when she goes back to the village, she doesn't say, everyone, I had the most interesting theological conversation about the nature of temples uh, with this person. He's so smart, he might be the Messiah. Now they did have an interesting theological conversation about the nature of temples, and he is so smart, but that's not what she says. That's not her story. Her story isn't, I got a bunch of new theological information, now you should come get some too. She says, come meet a man who told me everything I ever did. The very sight of her shame, the very sight of her pain has become the place that she uses to invite people to encounter Jesus as well. Because the life-giving spirit has transformed her pain and her shame into life. And so her lead is come meet the man who told me everything I've ever done because now there's no more pain, there's no more shame in that in her story because God met her there and loved her there and gave her life. So of course she shares that. Of course that's what she starts with, right? It's probably going to be like three or four days where she's like, you know what? He also said some interesting things about the temple. I just kind of forgot to mention right? But like, that, that's like a footnote. The theology stuff is like a footnote. The power, the reality, is her transformed story, her transformed life, all of that pain and shame that have been made new. And again, her, like, imagine her story, right? What, tell us about how you met God. Well, you know, I, I went to get water, and God asked me for a drink. Like, that's relatively boring, right? Uh, In John 9, uh, the man born blind, we talked about him if you were here, and we talked about Jesus the good shepherd, right? That guy's like, well, I was blind, and then Jesus spit on me, and when I washed my face off, I could see. That's dramatic. You're like, what? I mean, everyone's impressed with that story, right? That's like my buddy Ron. Like, people get up there, and he's telling his story, and people are just like, oh, this is amazing. And then the woman gets up, and she's like, what? You know, God asked me for a drink. It's like, I mean, okay, that's cool, I guess, but not like the blind guy that can see. And yet, and yet, and yet, and yet, her story is good news. Not because it was dramatic, not because it was uh, miraculous in this like tangible way, but it was miraculous because she met this person who knew her thoroughly and transformed her in the place of her pain and her shame. So Like me, you might not have a particularly dramatic story of how God has transformed you. You might have a boring testimony, let's just call it out. Right? But I'm willing to bet you have a site of pain or shame or fear, places of death in our lives. You have those places. That the The water of life, the spirit of God, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is transforming, is making new. And that makes your story a miracle. It makes your story worth sharing. Stories about good people who do good things and never have any bad things happen to them, those are boring stories, right? And frankly, again, if we're talking about religion, they're not particularly good news. Like A story from someone who's always been good and never had any problems and God loves them is like, good for them, but that's not good news for me because I'm painfully aware of my own imperfections. I need stories about a God who loves people right where they are in the midst of their pain and their shame and their fear and their loss and transforms those. That's what's, that's what's good news for me. And so when I share my story these days, I try not to get so hung up on the fact that it you know, doesn't have many pyrotechnics in it. I try to focus on the fact that I've been transformed from a person who felt unlovable to a person who is able to receive love. From a person who is judgmental to a person who's welcoming. From a person who is pretty skeptical and suspicious of outsiders of new information to a person who's curious who's interested, from a person who's cruel to a person who's kind, like these are the the transformations that I can share about. These are the things that make my story good news, because they're things that I didn't do myself. They're from an encounter with God, from that life-giving river that flows from the heart of God through my life into the world around me, the Holy Spirit. And friends, that's your story too. The places in your life that are sources of shame or pain or fear, places of failure, these are the places that God brings life. And these are the places that make your story worth sharing because they demonstrate God's power. So, as we're talking about the Holy Spirit today, who is the Holy Spirit? Well, Jesus promised us that, among many other things, the Spirit is the one that enables us to bear witness to God, to give testimony, to provide eyewitness accounts of God's power and God's life. How? By transforming our places of death, of shame and pain, and the desert areas in our life, transforming those into life, into hope, into beauty, into growth. And so we bear witness. We tell people about God, not with theological proofs. I mean, you can like those are fine, right? They're not bad. I'm not like anti-theology. But th- that's not that's not where that's not where the magic happens. Where the magic happens is where God has made you new. That's what makes your story worth sharing. And so we're gonna we're gonna approach the communion table today, move into a time of reflection. But I want to invite you on this Pentecost Sunday, to spend some time in reflection about what the Spirit has done and is doing in your life. Maybe even what the Spirit is wanting to do. What the Spirit might be calling you to do. Because this is what makes your story worth sharing. This is what makes your story beautiful. Not that you have it all together, but that God is making you new. And so uh, we're going to come to the communion table to receive yet again Jesus' body and blood, to receive from him living water that quenches our thirst. This is the table that celebrates the meal that he shared with his followers when he promised them the gift of the Spirit, when he promised to send them the advocate who would enable them to bear witness. It was at that meal he broke bread and offered it as his body, broken for us, commanded us to take it and eat it. Later in that meal, he gave us a cup of wine. He said it was his blood poured out for the forgiveness of sin, poured out as a new covenant between us and God, a river of life flowing from the very heart of God to bring life to the world. He told us, take it and drink it. So there are a couple of people in this room uh, considering approaching the table this morning. Some of us are those who, uh, like me, have just felt like you didn't really have much to share. You didn't have much in your story worth celebrating. I want to encourage you this morning as we move into this time of reflection before we approach the table to, to consider what your story is and how God has been making you new. What are the places of death in your life that God has brought to life? What are the deserts that God has caused to bloom? There are others of you, though, that may be in the position of that Samaritan woman. You haven't encountered God. You haven't experienced this new life that flows from the heart of God. I want to invite you this morning, too, because Jesus said, Anyone who is thirsty may come and drink freely of the water of life. So I'm going I'm to lead us through a prayer of examine, a few questions to help you reflect on what God is saying to you this morning, what God is inviting you to do uh, in the next week, what your next right step is. And then I'll pray for us, and then as you're ready, you're welcome to come forward and receive the communion meal. So think back over uh, the, the time that we've been together since Easter. Where in this season of Eastertide have you experienced God's power? Where are there places that you can point to where new life has begun to bloom, where you have experienced transformation? Now, what sites of shame, pain, or fear do you find yourself still hiding in your life? Other places you're maybe even afraid to let God into. How can you pray that God will make those places new this week? What does it look like for you to be open to the life-giving power of the Spirit in those places in this next week? Let's pray together. God, you have gathered us here this morning on this Pentecost Sunday to reaffirm yet again the beauty and the power of the gift of your Holy Spirit to us. We have seen in your scriptures this morning that the Spirit is the one who brings us to life. The Spirit is the one who makes us new. The Spirit is the one uh, who heals us, and that's what makes our lives good news. Not that we're somehow perfect, but that you have made us new, that you have given us life. And so we approach your table this morning to receive uh, these wafers and juice, and we pray that they become a spiritual food, that we receive the grace yet again to share with the world around us the beauty and the power of your Holy Spirit, uh, not from some sort of abstract theological constructs but from the very sites in our own lives where we have experienced newness. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for rescuing us. Thank you for giving us this living water that is the resurrecting power of your spirit, the same spirit that raised your son Jesus from the dead. And we approach your table this morning and we offer these prayers in his name. Now, as you're going, uh, you might have noticed that we didn't actually get to Pentecost in the Gospel of John. Uh, We didn't, uh, we didn't, um, do we not have those scriptures? Oh, we do? Okay, good. All right, so I wanted to read uh, real quickly, uh, uh, because John is actually echoing the story of Genesis. So, uh, before we get to Pentecost and John, I wanted to read this from the creation story in Genesis 2. It says, The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and he breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. Uh, in Hebrew, the word uh, breath can also be spirit, so the spirit of the breath of life. That's what, that's what uh, happens in Genesis when God creates humanity. Now, let's see what John does after the resurrection. That Sunday evening, the night after Jesus was raised from the dead, uh, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders, and suddenly Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side, and they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And then he breathed on them the spirit of life, and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. So, Catalyst, you're going from here having been (laughs) breathed to life by God, receiving the living water that God has given you freely from his own heart. Go knowing that the very sites of shame and fear and pain, the deserts in your life that God has made bloom, those are the very sites that make your story worth telling. So your homework this week is to tell someone your story. Tell someone how God has brought new life to you. Be like the woman, right? Come meet this person who told me everything I ever did. Could he be the Messiah? You know the answer to that question, so go now the grace and peace of the Father, the Son, and filled with the breath of the Holy Spirit. We'll see you next week.